Hi guys, this is Matt Levy, and you're listening to Talking with TK. Welcome back to Talking with TK. I'm your host, Tristan Cannell. We're up to episode 96, and we've got, we're going to be moving away from... I know lately we've been having a lot of the Rugby League and Rugby Union boys on, but I wanted to move into a different direction for this week's episode, and I'm going to be having my first Paralympic athlete, and he's one of the best. His name is Matthew Levy. Just to introduce Matt, he's been to four consecutive Paralympic Games. He's a swimmer, a very outstanding swimmer. Over that period of time, he's won two gold, one silver, and four bronzes. He's been to a total of five world championships, and he's won over 20 international medals. He's held also four world records. He has an Order of Australia, and really, he's got a touching story as well. He was born premature at 25 weeks. He was born with cerebral palsy, and has had over 40 major operations over his life so not only is he a talented sportsman you know in terms of perseverance and you know adversity he's just the sort of guy that you know I love having on the show so very grateful for Matt giving me his time on the show today before we get to Matt if you haven't yet please subscribe for free you can do that via iTunes or Apple Podcasts you also find it now on Google Google Podcasts, also Google Play. We've also hit Spotify this week, so if you're a big fan of Spotify, it is on there. Or other apps I do recommend is Overcast, Stitcher, or Pocket Casts, or you can find it all conveniently online at www.talkingwithtk.com. I'd also love to hear from you, so please send me a message either at Tristan at talkingwithtk.com, that's my personal email, or you'll find me on Facebook or Twitter at talkingwithtk, or my Instagram is simply Tristan Nell. So please get in touch with any guest requests or suggestions that you do have for the show. We are kind of coming up to that 100th episode, so a few more to record, and then we'll be back for season two. So we hope you have been enjoying the NRL and rugby, guys. It is kind of my bread and butter. I do love those sports and that's what I've grown up playing as well but always interested to hear the stories of people just like Matt from different different sports and who have faced different adversity and challenges over their life all right guys excited to bring this episode to you and I introduce Matt Levy Alright guys, my special guest is Matthew Levy. Matthew is one of Australia's elite swimmers. He has competed at four consecutive Paralympic Games and over that time won two gold, one silver and four bronzes. He's been to five world championships, winning over 20 international medals and he's also held four world records. He has an order of Australia and he has an amazing journey which he's been kind enough to join me and tell me about. Welcome to the podcast. Cool. Matt thank, Levy. Thank, thanks for having me. Um yeah, it's um, great to be on the show and, um, yeah, great to tell my story. Um, I guess um, I was born 25 weeks premature mm. um, back in 1987. Um, I had uh, multiple operations. I uh, had three three or four strokes. Um, what else? Um, I've, um, yeah, represented Australia at four Paralympic Games. Um, I currently work at one of the big four banks yeah. as a business analyst. Um yeah, been on the Australian team for the past 16 or 17 years. Um, yeah, that's basically my story in a, in a nutshell. <laughs> Mate, it's an amazing story, and the amount of achievement for all the different adversity that's been put through you for your entire life, pretty much. Just touching back when you know you, you spoke about being born premature, like, at what, what stage did you know that, because... You got cerebral palsy when you were, you were born with cerebral palsy too, correct? Yes, correct. Yeah, like because there's different kind of levels of cerebral palsy, isn't there? Like, yeah. How does that kind of affect you? Um, basically, um, I'm mainly affected on the the left side. Yeah. Um, so my um le- my left side is weaker, um, a lot weaker than my right, and mainly it's like coordination um, and muscle strength um, is kind of how it how it affects me. Yeah. Um, yeah. So it's mainly always trying to get the muscles to work to the most efficiently as possible um, and kind of overcome that, that, that weakness um, somehow. Um, 
But um, yeah, it's like mainly for therapy and uh, intervention in the early stages um, is kind of how I've kind of got got over that. Um, and yeah, just kind of training the body to um, to understand the weaknesses, basically. Yeah, Matt. Memory-wise, like going back to your childhood, at what age do you kind of recollect that you did have something that was different to some of the other kids? Um, uh, I guess probably ten, eleven, when I was kind of got serious into swimming. Um, yeah. Back in two thousand, I guess when Sydney had the Paralympic Games, um, was when I kind of saw that, like obviously, a lot of people have worse had worse disabilities than myself in um, in Sydney 2000 and kind of that got the hunger started and I guess once I when I started ramping up the training it's kind of when I knew that um, obviously I wasn't as strong as I thought I thought yeah. I was and um, yeah like I guess but thanks to like intervention early on kind of did, did help with um, being able to get stronger quicker mm. like I guess the intervention does does help in in that sense and um, allows allowed me to like um, yeah, continue the, the journey and um, able to get a grasp, I guess, of the muscles a lot quicker. Yeah. At what age did you, your parents tell you what actually happened? Uh, I can't remember, but I think... Uh, uh, I guess it's mainly... Because obviously I was born with it, it was mainly, like, already knowing, like, just from, from day dot, basically, like, kind of understanding, like, this is what's happened, this is how I am, and I guess... You can't change, I guess, what you what you are. It's just a matter of like controlling the controllables, and yeah, um, yeah. With me, I obviously was born with it, so I guess I didn't know any different. Um, I guess it's it would be harder if you're not born with something and kind of had to understand. Yeah, I get you. Understand what happened or how to do this, how to do that. But I think because I was born with it, I kind of always knew anyway. Um, there was no like kind of eureka moment where oh this happened. Yeah. <laughs> so obviously swimming. It's like a love of your life, you know. It's something that must have changed your life and helped you build this incredible life that you've got now. How did you actually find swimming? Um, I guess my parents are a pretty big influence in that. They, um, they, they're both pretty, pretty sporty and um, I've got a- asthma as well, so I guess asthma is pretty big uh, for, sport, for swimming. Asthma is pretty, um, like pretty connected, I guess. Like mm. a lot of people with asthma do do swimming just as a form of health and therapy. Um, so that's kind of how I started and, um, yeah, mainly the therapy re- reasons as well because um, having cerebral palsy and, and brain-type injuries, um, swimming um, is a lot easier on, on, on the particular person. Like low impact. Yeah, low thing. impact and um, it's able to um, able to do a lot easier than, than walking around, for example. Yeah, for a child, but some of them, they're scared of the water. Were you, were you frightened of the water at all? Um, yeah, I definitely didn't like going training, but um, I guess I got used to it, and like, I kind of realised, obviously, it was there to help me. Yeah. Um, but, um, yeah, I definitely didn't love the water first up. <laughs> <laughs> How long did it take you to kind of start liking it? And um, even just, because, you know, you spoke before about, you know, with your cerebral palsy, sometimes your balance being off on one side and things like that. It must have been quite the challenge, especially when you started actually doing freestyle and just doing strokes and things like that. Yeah, right? it's mainly like the, I guess, the coordination and um, doing backstroke. I still struggle with that. Um, but, um, yeah, just like the coordination factor um, and the weakness factor combined, it makes it pretty difficult. Yeah. But, um, yeah, it's always been, been a struggle. I think even, even, even now it's just a matter of, like, being aware of the, the struggles and kind of adapting as best you can. Yeah, absolutely. So your progress, because, you know, you spoke before about being, you know, an Australian participant, like you've represented the country for so long. So as soon as you started swimming, you must have made some really rapid sort of just growth and improvement in the sport. Like kind of what was that kind of on the back of? Um, well, I guess I've always swam to an extent. So I guess never not... not um not done swimming, yeah. um, I guess. So, like, yeah, it was always just mainly kind of a... The improvement was mainly just kind of understanding how to do the certain strokes and how to swim, basically, rather than just, like, float up and down. <laughs> yeah. Um, as, as, a, as, a, as an example. But, um, yeah, like, so, yeah, I've, um, I made my first team in... Uh, when I was 15. Okay. Um, yeah, so, um, yeah, I guess there wasn't really a rapid increase this was more like just a 
kind of understanding of what I'm doing and how I'm doing it. <laughs> yeah. Um, but um, yeah, like it was. Um, it's been a pretty big career so far, and still a lot to, um, lot to get done um, in the next couple of years. Yeah. In terms of that, because do you see yourself like as a veteran now? Yeah, I'm pretty old. I think for for a swimmer. Um, I would say experience, not old, mate. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but um, yeah, most of the swimmers seem to be in early twenties, mid twenties. Yeah. Um, but um, yeah, I'm probably I'm one of the experienced ones, and um, yeah, usually you're kind of on your way out now. But I guess if you, as long as you enjoy it and kind of see the improvements in yourself and understand that you can still improve at that age, it doesn't really matter how old you are. Yeah, like Ada, because you've just been to the Commonwealth Games, right? Yeah, yeah, back in April. Yeah, so you've been to Commonwealth Games. You know, obviously you've got four Paralympics under your belt, which is quite impressive. Like in terms of like you and your, you know, your coach is Steve Badger, right? Yeah. Yeah. So do you guys sit down at the end of a big championship meet and go, well, this is what we've achieved. This is probably what we need to improve, and this is maybe what we want to shoot to next. Is there a kind of a process there? Yeah, yeah. I think um, like yeah, the only way you can improve is by looking at the stuff you do wrong. Yeah. Um, but um, are you pretty good at kind of picking out what you've done wrong? Or no, you, not really. No, you're not good at no, not the good feedback at sort of area. Uh, or? I, I take feedback on board, but um, I guess the not all coach and athlete partnership is going to get on in, in every facet. I guess like you still um, can disagree with with certain stuff, but I think um, yeah, to be able to improve, you need to kind of um, understand your, your faults and what you've done done wrong but I think yeah I try and like after every meet I try and kind of reassess and um, see what, what went wrong even if I did do do well like there's always like room for improvement um, in every aspect of, of the swimming like whether it's in the water or out of the water yeah one thing I want to ask you about was your workload because I see that you do multiple strokes you're in relay teams you also do the individual medley like your work workload compared to even you know professional swimmers is quite substantial above that. Is that something that you've always kind of wanted to do, have different events, or is that something because of your talent in each one that you just want to have a crack at all of them? Um, yeah, I think more like talent, and yeah, I think it gives good opportunity to do like a, a range of them. To like, you never know on the day like who's going to be there or, or how you're going to go. Um, but I think my best result. In the Paralympics was in London, and I, I um, medaled across a wide variety of events. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I think I'm just, I've cut down a little bit um, in the last year or so. But um, I think um, yeah, it's a combination of um, liking the events I do, and yeah. also that I'm good at them as well. Yeah. So um, what's next? You got nationals next, correct? Yeah, nationals starts in on Sunday. Um, oh, so that's over over a week um, in Adelaide. And then from there, um, they pick a team to go to Cairns um, for Panpax. Yep. Um, and then there's potentially another team um, that goes overseas for a short week trip um, to Japan for, I guess, uh, um, checking out the sites and doing some meet over there at the back end of the year. Yeah, nice. And how's prep been going into the into the nationals? Yeah, it's been good. Um, it's um, weird having it this late in the year, but yeah, um, so it's unusual. Yeah, usually it's uh, March, April. Okay. Um, because of the Commonwealth Games, um, they've moved it back or moved it to July. <laughs> so yeah, it's interesting. It's going to be a bit cold, colder yeah. than usual, but um, yeah, it's all right. Like as long as I guess you, as athletes we adapt and um, yeah, like we train twenty like all year round, twenty four seven. So it's not like it's nothing new. <laughs> yeah, nice. No, so being on the weekend, will you go a couple of days before to acclimatise to being down there, be used to hotels and things like that? Is that what usually happens? Yeah, usually. Like I, um, like nationals um, is all on, up, up to the athlete to organise and work out, but um, usually I try and go down two days before. Yep. Um, so I'm going down Thursday, um, about two and a half days before this time. Um, and then, yeah, I, have an, I usually stay in Airbnbs when I'm going to nationals, just because it's cheaper yeah um because you guys are pretty much paying for yourselves right yeah yeah so we pay for self-funded um until obviously once we make national team and go overseas to that particular meet that's that's funded but the the lead up and the training and stuff is all all funded by the by the athlete um but um yeah it's good that's why i work and like i enjoy what i do like it's not the money that 
drives me, but yeah. there's not much in it. But um, but um, yeah, it's exciting and um, exciting to, to get get back in the race. Yeah, what's Westpac being like? Because they must be a very understanding sort of employee to kind of give you time off and things like that. Is that kind of why you're with Westpac? Because of that understanding between your sport and your work? Yeah, yeah, I think um, they're really flexible. I've been there about close to nine years now. Oh, wow. Um, long service coming up. Yeah, close to long service. Um, yeah, so they're, they're pretty flexible and um, I guess understand um, from my perspective what I'm, what I'm doing. And um, Yeah, so I've been with them for two Paralympic cycles now, basically. Um, yeah, so they're really, really understanding of what I do and um, help um, yeah, like allow me to have the time off, obviously, and um, yeah, and like I guess it helps having a supportive manager as well. Yeah, absolutely. Now, Matt, you know you're the same size as, as me, and we're bigger. maybe a little bit bigger. <laughs> I think I'm a little bit wider, and you're a little bit taller. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> and you know, predominantly, like guys our size aren't swimmers. Boxers. Now, yeah, absolutely. Or boxers or maybe some short soccer players or things like that. Like, your record speaks for itself. Like, obviously, you've got some sort of advantage that you have over the guys that you compete in because I saw that relay photo and the other other boys on the team are massive. Yeah. And you're one of the the best swimmers there. Yeah. So, in your own words, what's that kind of competitive advantage you think that you've got? Um, I guess technique um, is probably one thing. Like, I guess it's all well and good being really tall, but if you don't have like, good technique, then it's not really going to help you swim too fast because you're going to go around in circles. Yeah. But, um, yeah, I don't know. I guess, um, yeah, there's not, like, yeah, there's one thing to be tall, but I guess short does, does help um, with technique and um, allows you to get off the blocks a bit, a bit quicker as well, potentially. Yeah. So as a start, is that something that's really crucial for you? Yeah, I think so. Like, because the taller guys seem to t- tend to get a bit more, um, takes a bit more of the time to get going with them. But yeah. Um, yeah, I guess it's mainly mainly technique and kind of um, how they kind of move in the water, really. Because like being in a classification sport, um, a lot of the taller guys, it's not as beneficial because their technique and their the way their body moves might not be as efficient. Yeah. Um, but being, being shorter, I guess, it's not a benefit, I guess, but it does have its benefit if you have good technique. <laughs> yeah. You know that technique that you just spoke about? Yeah. Is there a difference between, what do they call it? Is it able-bodied and what's the different, sorry, classifications between the two different yeah. events? Is, it, is that what they refer uh, to? Is it able-bodied? Is that what they call it? Um, like Olympics and Paralympics? Yeah. Um, well, we have like 10 physical classifications. Yeah. Disability. So S1's the highest, um, most disabled. Yeah. And S10's the least disabled. And I fall in a 7, so okay. um, minimal disability. Um, and 10 would be like, I guess, missing a few toes. Um, 9, um, missing a uh, missing a leg below the below the knee. Okay. Um, 8 would be missing, a, missing an arm. Um, and 9 would be varying disabilities of neurological or um, maybe missing a missing a arm and half a leg or something. Okay. Now, in terms of technique, how much different would you swim compared to someone like, like, just say Ian Thorpe, for example, was just him, him. would you, your technique and your strokes be very similar? Uh, probably not. I think he'd be more, like his uh, propulsion and um, his power, I guess, in the water would be a lot yeah. more than someone that's has a physical disability um, would be the probably main difference. Okay. And um, but you're still kind of doing yeah, the exact same, same thing. Yeah, right? you're doing the exact same thing, except you just be a bit more. One will be a bit more um, powerful than the other. Um, I guess yeah. If someone's six foot three. Uh, I don't know if Ian Thorpe's six foot three and the Paralympic guy's six foot three, you potentially be slightly less okay um, propulsion and less drive, I guess, than than Ian Thorpe. Yeah. Matt, you know, you just mentioned some of, you know, the people that you meet, people that have lost limbs, yeah. have had different scenarios happen. Is that the best thing about being in the Paralympics? All these stories and these amazing people that you get to meet? Yeah, I think so. There's, the, there's pretty amazing people out there. and uh, Yeah, you never know who you come across, like, in the village and um, even in the Australian team. And, mm. um, yeah, it's a pretty, pretty humbling experience, like, to know their stories. Like, even if you don't think they've got anything or 
anything wrong with them. Like they always have a back backstory of some sort. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's pretty pretty amazing where they like came from and where they are now, and um, yeah, and what they can achieve as well. Definitely. Do you see yourself as a bit of a leader now that you have had this much experience? Um, yeah, I'm on I'm on the leadership team. Yep. Um, in the swimming team. But, How many um, people on the, the leadership? Uh, there's team? four of us. Okay. So I've been on there since 2011. Um, and how do you actually, is that something you put your hand up for? Is that something that the coaches? Um, yeah, do? it's no, self-nominated and then they, they kind of pick from there. Yeah, nice. Um, so obviously it's a reflection that your teammates see you as someone that they look up to. So. Yeah, yeah, I think so. Um, but yeah, it's just, I guess, about mentoring the other athletes and kind of um, imparting the wisdom that I've learned over the last couple of years um, onto them. Like, I guess they can take it, take it or leave it, really. But, um, yeah, I guess um, history speaks for itself in terms of, like, what, what I've achieved. And, um, yeah, it's just good to be able to mentor the young guys and kind of get them to understand what, what I've been through because it's been a different, very different way of life and the different sport now from when I started like yeah. it's a bit more uh, I wouldn't say professional because we've still got a long way to go but um, it's definitely um, changed a lot in the 15 or so years that I've been on the team yeah I was going to ask you about this sport evolving across the whole board yeah. you know how like usually they have the Olympics and then they have the Paralympics yeah. do you think there will ever be a stage where they can combine them and have them running at the same time or is that impossible um, I think with the amount of classes Pretty, pretty much near impossible. Like for example, at the Commonwealth Games, we were, we had um, four or five classes represented in the swimming, and we have fourteen yeah. in in in, all, in the Paralympics, for example. And then athletics, we had five or six classes represented, and they have twenty four okay. classes. So yep. yeah, they could potentially be like showcasing snippets of different disabilities or classes um, within the Olympics. But to have it have it totally integrated would be yeah, impossible. Because like, yeah. you'll be eliminating certain classes and disabilities and stuff from from the the event um, to have it make it happen. But maybe reversing it and having the Paralympics first, first. before the Olympics. Yeah, that's probably a good idea because sometimes you guys get the rough end because literally people Everyone's... have to watch two weeks of sport so they're yeah, kind of, they're out of sported out. Yeah. You know what I mean? And then you guys have some amazing athletes that just don't get the recognition because people have switched off, not because they're bored or don't want to watch it, it's yeah. just because they've been watching so much sport for two yeah. weeks, they need a break. Yeah, and maybe, because like, it's a two-week gap between the Olympics and Paralympics, which is fine, but maybe reducing it to make it a bit more inclusive, but that would be difficult as well because they always take ages to like put ramps in and whatnot. But, um, yeah, it's very, it'd be nice to be um, more integrated, but yeah. it'd be very, very difficult. Um, and I guess being two separate organisations, I think um, IOC is a business yep. and IPC is a non-profit organisation. So to kind of yeah, exactly right. to combine those two and make it difficult as well. When you guys do go to the Olympics, when do you guys, you know, you said about that two-week break. Yeah. As soon as the Olympics are over, is that when you guys are arriving into the village? Is that how it happens? Um, no, usually when the Olympics finishes, we usually head to training camp, okay. like station camp. So we, we train for a week and a half and then go in the village for the next, last five days of the preparation or so. Mm. Um, so we'd be, what, Japan, for example, we'd be probably Singapore, I'm guessing. Um, when the Olympics, as soon as the Olympics finishes, we leave Australia, go to Singapore, train for a week and a half um, in, a, in a camp environment yep. and then head to, to Tokyo for the last five days of the preparation to get used to the village and whatnot. So it's usually how it works. Okay. Now, Matt, I want... Everyone listening out there, because, you know, your schedule is out of control. And some people say they don't even have time to exercise 30 minutes in the day. So I want you to go through now a typical day in the life of Matthew Levy, your training, your work, and the sleep that you have to put in to create this machine that is obviously one of the best swimmers in the world. Okay. Um, I get up at 5 a.m., yep. train at 5.30 till 7.30, go to work, um, Work from eight a.m. till three p.m. Yep, and then go to go to training again in the afternoon from four um, p.m. till six p.m. And then training in the morning. What's that? A swim? Yeah, yeah. So it's swim usually double double. So um, so I, you'll swim twice a day. Yeah, yeah. So wow. swim twice a day. And what does that consist of? Um, usually I'm doing around 
five kilometers per session. Okay, in freestyle. Four to f- uh, mix it up usually. Mix it up. Yeah, um, usually like depend. It's a bit, maybe a bit shorter if I'm doing a sprint sprint session. Um, but um, yeah, around four to five kilometers um, in the two hours. Okay, and you don't because you're illegally blind too, correct? Yeah, so vision impaired. So you don't coverage. drive, do you? No. So that's even more commitment. For yeah. you get, how do you get to training? Um, my dad drops me in the morning and then I get the train and um, public transport to work and in, well, not in the afternoons, but um, yeah, because he does, um, he starts work pretty early as well. Okay. So. But still, you have to be, you know, in terms of scheduling and sticking to yeah. it and yeah. all those little things, discipline, getting up in the morning, having to arrange your schedule to be all these places at different times. It's something that, you know, you must be pretty good at after all these years. Yeah, I think it's just routine Yeah. Um, more than anything else. But, um, yeah, like, it's thanks to my parents and stuff that helped me. Um, but what, what makes you want to get up in the morning? Um, I guess to understand that you've got, like, improvement in you and, like, you're being the best person you can be. Yep. Um, I think, yeah, like, if I didn't get up in the morning and train and I wanted to be competing on the world stage, I'm not going to be... Um, competing too too well if I don't don't go and train, I guess it's a personal choice. I guess to continue to swim and obviously if you enjoy the sport as well, it kind of helps. Um, yeah, like combination of all that um, is really why I do it. Definitely. And what about nutrition? Do you have to plan a lot of meals ahead? Are you packing meals? How does that work? Um, yeah, I plan meals, but um, I guess this is a matter of trying to keep. Like, I'm pretty naturally eat, I naturally eat healthy anyway, so okay. it's just a matter of. Um, kind of keeping to a routine and not like having too much junk food and um and whatnot but um yeah it's just a matter of um yeah just buying healthy and yeah. and, and like I, i've been to enough camps and stuff to know what to eat and not eat and, um what's your swimming weight um i weigh 57 58 kilos and that's that's when you know you're your fastest is, is uh, i don't really i don't change weight too you don't much. change weight no. to fluctuate at all you no. good genetics i guess i guess so yeah i'll be a good boxer <laughs> we didn't have to cut much weight at all. No. Were your parents swimmers? Um, yeah, they both swam. Um, anything like? Have you got brothers and sisters at all? Yeah, um, none of them did anything like to that top level, but they all they were pretty good at sports. Okay, and what about you, your extended family? Was anyone like? Where do you get this swimming gene from, mate? Because it's incredible. Um, well, I guess naturally Australians are like born for the water, outdoors, yeah. outdoors and stuff. But um, obviously, being in a southern state of Sydney or well, New South Wales. It's a bit colder in winter, but um, yeah, like none of like my parents. I guess they were they were pretty sporty, so I guess that's where I got the gene from. But in terms of like the elite type level, but yeah, and I guess being obviously born premier and all the other adversities they've gone through, are kind of helped with the adversity stakes and can, like um, and the drive and motivation and all that kind of stuff. Hey guys, just a quick break in today's episode. Next week on the show, we've got one of the greatest coaches of all time, Rick Charlesworth. If you haven't heard of Rick. Well, he's one of the most successful sporting coaches of all times. He's led both the Australian men's and women's hockey teams over a staggering period of time, and they both achieved absolutely unbelievable success. He was also a former Australian hockey captain, and he's also a WA former WA state cricket captain and player in the Sheffield Shield. Not to be outdone, he is a 10-year politician and he's also a doctor of medicine. I believed in a way of playing which was aggressive and assertive. I think you make a mistake if, you, um, if you're passive or defensive. You know, you, so you have to stamp yourself on the game. You know, I always expect that. You better have really good you know, um, basic skills, whatever you want. Basic skills isn't uh, the right word because they're not basic. They're uh, high quality skills. We've got to have reproducible skills under pressure, and you've got to, you better have that. Tactically, you better be flexible enough to to change. But in the end, you know, I've just been watching the soccer World Cup, and there's all sorts of oh, they've got three at the back, or five at the back, or this at the back, or that at the, they're, they're doing this, as though the players are just automatons. They're not. Players make judgments and decisions. All the important judgments and decisions that are made on the field are made by players, not by coaches. And uh, they have to be able to do that in real time uh, in the game because you only get to speak to them before the match and the half time. You know, or they come on and off in our game, so you get to talk to them during the game. That gives you some capacity to intervene. But 
essentially they've got to sort those things out for themselves and I watch the game and there's 11 of them out there playing but I don't see it through the eyes of any of those individuals when they come off they say to me this is happening and that's happening he did this you know I might not have even seen it um, so you've got to create in them the capacity to be a decision maker and take responsibility and make judgments the most important thing you do is to give them that they've got to own the tactics you might have a view on how they play but you the players have got to own the tactics and so I think that uh, that's one of the things that you've got to create. You've got to create a culture in which there's learning, in which they're contributing, in which you're learning at the same time. The players are the innovators more than the coaches. And so if you have a relationship like that, then uh, you, you can keep learning and growing and improving. So book, be on the lookout for that one. Please, if you haven't yet, share the show with your family and friends. Please subscribe for free via iTunes or Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts or Google Play. It's also on Spotify or you'll find it all online at www.talkingwithtk.com. All right, guys, let's get back to the show. You know, you just mentioned, you know, obviously being born premature. Yeah. Do you kind of get involved in, you know, I'm sure there's various charities and things like that that are focused towards that. Is that something that kind of interests you at all? Yeah, I'm an ambassador for um, Life's Little Treasures, which is a national... Uh, premature foundation so they kind of raise awareness for uh, of premature births and kind of how to um, how parents can um, understand it and interact with their kids and that kind of stuff and um, like I guess back um, 31 years ago my parents wouldn't have had any information they would have just been potlucked that you yeah. had someone that knew what they were doing or understood because um, I guess a lot of people those that early on didn't survive um, but like they have like a few there's a few charities out there, I think, that kind of help raise awareness of premature birth and um, what to do. But, yeah, I think, like, medical advances have kind of helped a lot in the last 30 years mm. um, to kind of alleviate any issues that people would have. Yeah, you being born at 25 weeks... Yeah, it's pretty early. What, what's the actual percent... Like, on a normal scale, what's the chances of a normal baby actually surviving? Back at, then? Back then or even now? Oh, uh, now it'd be pretty high because they know what they're doing and they put them in... Um, yeah, they, they have the right techniques and stuff, but back then it would have been like... Because that was that six months? I think so, yeah. yeah. I'm not sure full-term. I guess full-term is whatever you want to be. Wow. So that's like, that's what, 12 weeks premature pretty much? Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I guess back then it would be less than 1% or not much. It would be like hardly any um, chance. Is there <laughs> many pictures of you from like back then when you were, when you were first born? Yeah, yeah, i got a few. They're pretty ugly pictures. Yeah, how long till you actually like really started developing? Because you would have been how long were you in the hospital for? Uh, probably the first five years, like in and out. Wow. Um, like oxygen and whatnot. So, yeah. <laughs> and then you know, having to go to hospital so much, did you have to start school later? Um, no, I finished. Uh, I did year twelve over two years, but that so was mainly because of my swimming and kind of pathways. Kind of pathways, yeah. yeah. Um. Uh, no, I don't think I just like kind of like was a bit slower in terms of developing than probably most of the other kids, but um, I still kind of went through the schooling the same amount of, um, at the same grade as yeah. everyone else. Which... How did you, you find school and things like that? Um, yeah, it was always it was pretty tough. Like, I think yeah. um, not every, not school's not for everyone. Yeah, for sure. And, um, yeah, like, I was... The last couple of years, I was... I think I made Athens the last couple of years, and I was away a little bit for that, and... Um, was it hard to focus, knowing that you were, had all this talent on the outside and you're already representing Australia and things like that? Was it um, hard to kind of balance that and yeah, focus? I think it was. It was probably more um, more hard to like, yeah, focus on the schooling and, and do, the other, do the sport at the same time. But, um, but yeah, I think like the pretty... Um, like swimming's pretty good like that how they can kind of do do both at the same time and um, they make sure that like you can have time to study and whatnot so, mm. um, same thing with uni um, there was like there's always, there's always time to be able to study and um, be able to do do uni work and whatnot on the sides yeah so you know Athens was the first what real major event because that's the Paralympics was that 2004 yeah but you had been quite you went to 2003 was the world champs right um I'm not sure what meet it was oh, you know what I've written it down let me have a look Yep, 2003, you swum at the 200-metre freestyle short course, 
and that would have been your first event before Athens. Like, yeah. what is the major differences for yourself between a world championship and then your Paralympic Games? Um, I think a lot of countries place a lot of emphasis obviously on the Paralympics more so than the Worlds and people are at more peak training um, the peak more, what country kind of does any one country put a little bit more money into the Paralympics to kind of try and get the edge over some of the other ones is it um, like that China seems to be the one that puts in most of the money okay um, they don't, you don't really hear of any of them until probably the year of Paralympics. So they kind of just sweep Hi. under the carpet. Yeah. And just kind of blind swipe you a little bit. Pretty much, yeah. So you don't know what they're doing till like the year of. Um, Is that the hardest thing? Because, you know, in kind of professional sports, because it's on TV all the time, yeah. you can kind of see what your competitors are doing. Is it harder in your sport because you're not always aware of what everyone else is doing? Um, yeah, it is. But I think, like, obviously we have personal best that we aim for and stuff. So yeah. it makes it kind of easy enough to focus on um, the end goal because like you're trying to beat your personal best but I think yeah it does make it's a bit frustrating when you don't know what like your competition's doing but at the end of the day when you're racing you can't really um, do much like you can't really um, focus too much on the competition because you can't really see them when you're racing anyway so yeah, um, yeah it's just a matter of focusing on yourself and I'm hoping that your training and the stuff you do um in the lead up, um, kind of hold you in good stead for, for the competition. But. Yeah, when you walk out, because I, I watched a video of your race, I think it was from 2008 in Beijing, but when you walked out, you were cool as a cu- cucumber. Like, you seemed so poised when you walked out. Like, what's going through your head when, when you actually walk into the pool? Um, I guess just trying to keep calm and, like, knowing that all your preparation that you've done um, is, is, is worth it. And, um, because I guess there's always going to be self-doubts when you're competing, like whether whether I've done enough, whether whether um, what I've done is is enough. And yeah. um, do you get that much? Uh little bits and pieces, but I guess it's a matter of like taking deep breaths and kind of um, remembering what you've done in the past and um, that that you've done this million times over. Yeah. So you've uh, done a fair bit of mindfulness training, yeah, and things like that. Yeah. Yeah, I try to do a bit, but it always it's always like hard to do it, like hard to. Um, to um, bring it into um, a real environment, like like when you're walking out to an major Paralympic final, for example. But yeah, um, yeah, you just, I guess you just try and remember what you've done in the past and um, not get too freaked out by the moment. Yeah, for sure. Now, I read a blog the other day that you wrote, and it was quite interesting. It was like talking about disappointment and handling. You missed out on one of the Commonwealth Games teams. Yeah, and you spoke about I think it was the process. Over, uh, I'm trying to think what you said. Was it the process? Because you forgot. I think you were looking at the end goal instead of yeah repeating the process that would continually get you there. Is that kind of what you meant by that? Yeah, yeah. I think um, yeah, you can always lose sight of like the um, the process um, when you're thinking of the end goal. And um, yeah, I think I missed out on 2006 Commonwealth Games because um, I was thinking of the end goal, not the process. And, I think that happens pretty regularly with a lot of us athletes. Like you think mm. of, um, you get so caught up in the, the end goal and the um, the shiny stuff at the end that you forget like what's actually going to get you there. Is it because people like your friends and family are talking about it around you? Is that what happens? It just builds up in your own mind that you have to get there. Is that? Um, there's probably that. Um, not so much for me, but um, but it's more I guess like self doubt and um, self talk. I guess that 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 can lead to your downfall as well but um, yeah that's certainly the case of a lot of people like their friends and family and social media is a big one as well yeah how have um, you find, found social media I don't post that much on it yep. like during the comps anyway but um, yeah that's a big like I've heard a few, a few swimmers and a few sporting people it's a bit of their downfall um, especially in this day and age like Absolutely. I think back in back in 2008 we didn't even know what social media was exactly right um but yeah, it has its benefits, but it has its drawbacks as well. Yeah, Matt, you know, one of your real successful ones was being on the relay team that we spoke about before. Now, in such an individualised sports like swimming, having to then cross over and be in a team of four, four guys, how do you adjust for that? Because that's two different things, being in a team versus being an individual. Um, 
I guess it's pretty cool because like there's not a lot of avenues where we in swimming do um, team events. Um, yeah, so it's pretty pretty easy because like you're, we're all representing Australia. We're not necessarily representing ourselves. Um, and yeah, to like know that they've got your back and um, understand where you're coming from. Um, like if if we fail, we fail together. So um, it's um, yeah, it gets you pumped up, and like a lot of times, people do a lot faster in relays than they do in individual swings. Yeah, will you lead off usually? Um, I have lead off in the past, but usually I go second. Usually they, well, it depends on what they want to do, but usually they lead off the fast person and then lead off um, they anchor with the second fastest person, and then the two middle ones in between. Um, but yeah, it's um, it's a good experience. Yeah, what's it like standing on the podium for the first time? Yeah, it's pretty pretty amazing. It's um pretty surreal. Um, like you kind of dream like many years to stand on the podium, and when you finally get there, it's like it's a bit of a bit of a shock. And I guess you try and kind of take it all in, but it, it um sometimes doesn't work out that way. When it, like there's like the crowd and like everything happens so quickly, so you kind of um it's just a matter of like soaking in all the all the atmosphere and um yeah, because you never know when the last one will be. Yeah, absolutely. Now. I did intro you as four, what do I say, in terms of world records? Four world records, is that right? I have no idea. I don't care. Well, that's, that's what I've got yeah, written that down. Right. So let, let's say four world records. You know, that must be an amazing achievement at the time to think that at that very particular time, you were the fastest person to ever do that. Does, do you reflect on this at all or even think about it? Um, oh, not really. I just like, kind of go out there and try and do my best and... Um, yeah, it's like good to have the accolades and stuff behind me, but um, at the end of the day, records are made to be broken at the end of the day. Yeah. So, um, but yeah, to have it like at that one point in time um, is pretty pretty cool, pretty pretty special. But um, yeah, yeah, it's pretty pretty um, amazing experience. Yeah. Now, Matt, I'm going to load this question just a touch. Right. Now, you know, after all these championships, all these Olympic medals. World records for you, Matt Levy. What's your your proudest moment so far? Um, I guess knowing that I can improve on what I'm doing. Like I think um, going to four Paralympic Games is pretty cool, and knowing that like each Paralympic Games I've improved on my time and um, improved um, myself as a person, and I think that's that's pretty pretty special. And also um, being awarded the Order of Australia medal was pretty pretty cool in 2000. And uh, 14 yeah nice um, but um, yeah that was pretty cool to, to be awarded that but um, yeah that'd be probably my main two Order of Australia medal because I did want to touch on it now 2014 which is only four years away so when you get presented do you get told because this is Australia Day that it gets released right yeah do you get told in advance that you're going to be on this list or how does the process work um, yeah like six months in advance you get told and not to tell anyone but <laughs> so who do you tell just your mum and dad yeah yeah. That must have been stoked about, like... Um, yeah, like, because I won a Paralympic gold medal in 2012. You kind of knew you were going to be on the list at some point in time. Okay. Because um, it goes hand in hand. So um, what does it look like? Um, Is it, does it look like a, like a medal from the Games? No, it's more like a... Um, it's like a, a cross okay. of sorts. Like a fancy cross. And... Can you wear it? Like yeah, special occasions like when you meet the Queen and stuff. Uh, have you met the Queen? No, but um, I'm like, I don't know what occasions you'd wear it for. Yeah, that'd be pretty cool to meet the Queen. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, they have the different like pendulums for different periods, like different uh, occasions, um, and like the the actual OAM, you wear it for like I don't know OAM function, I guess. Yep. Um, or any other special occasions, I guess. Okay, cool. Okay, I want to touch back on leadership because, you know, you've obviously been exposed to yeah. some great leaders over time. In terms of your own career and even your own life, who are some of the people that you admire and maybe why you admire them? Yeah, sure. Um, I guess my parents, just because they brought me up and, mm-hmm. um, like, instilled values and beliefs and um, all that stuff in me. And um, in terms of... Uh, people I've looked up to, I guess, like, anyone that's kind of, um, any sports person or business person that's kind of gone out there and achieved something. Yeah. Because, um, yeah, it's pretty pretty amazing to achieve anything in this in this world and to um, 
go out there and achieve something that someone said that it's not possible um, is pretty pretty cool, which is like um, plenty of people, examples, I guess, of that in, in today's society. Um, yeah, they're like my main kind of two, um, two examples. Really. Yeah. Now, success, Matt. The mature Matt now, after all these years of swimming, compared to when you first jumped into Australian swimming, has that definition of success changed a lot over time? Um, yeah, a little bit. Like, I think now it's more like kind of in trying to improve myself and to understand where I can improve, whereas back in the early days it was more um, trying to get the medals and, and the results. results and, yeah. and, um, the less about the process, but now it's a bit more, a bit more measured. and um, Yeah, and like I guess trying to... Um, like a lot of my swimming... A lot of the stuff I've got gotten has been got has been given being able to get through swimming. Yep. Um, so yeah, I like I can thank swimming a lot for like a lot of the stuff that I've got, like my job at Westpac and all that kind of stuff. So um, yeah, it's um it's definitely been a a, um, a wild ride. <laughs> definitely. Now, Matt, in terms of you know you must swim in some amazing venues around yeah. the world. Where has been your favourite, both in Australia and then back around the world? Um, the Gold Coast Aquatic Centre was pretty cool for the Commonwealth Games. Was it a fast pool? No, um, not really, because it was outdoors. Okay. But um, cause can you, you tell outdoors. straight away whether a pool is going to be fast or not? Um, I th- yeah, I think so. Like it's more like obviously Commonwealth Games, you open to the elements a little bit, so yep. it's not like as controlled. Um, whereas like the fast pools, I guess, are the more the. Um, Technology is slightly different in the in the way that they make the pool. Um, I guess the drainage system I think helps as well. Um, the older pools have probably less or well, the draining draining system is not the best. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas the newer pools um, that are being built now is that makes it a bit more slick um, and able to process the water faster and whatnot. I think. Do you get any ear, ear infections or anything? No, touch wood. Why is that? Do you have to wear like any special things in your ear or anything like no, that? No, just it's just your technique's so good you don't have to. No, yeah, I get. Well, I don't know. I'm not sure. I guess just making sure my ears not like doesn't get too wet. Mm-hmm. Um, I wear a cap, so it kind of helps with that one as well. Do you use the full body suit? No, we can't use that anymore. When did they take that out? 2009. So is it only the pants? Yeah. So it's just pants, but you can go past your knees. No, no to your knees. Short. Yeah. And do you use those, or you just use your normal kind no, of speedos? No, I use the use the, um, use the shorts. Yeah, cool. Um, do you find it faster? Not really. I think because of my height, like probably doesn't make too much difference. Yeah, when it was the craze with the full body. Oh, that helps because you've got like um, you've got a well, the full body kind of helps because you've got like basically a core that's made into the suit. Yeah. So like it kind of replaces your own basically okay to, and it like helps with like um flushing the lactate out of your muscles and stuff because um, you don't need to do much will you shave going into an event yeah like even your beard everything? yeah because yeah. does that it's those little kind of point one of a seconds that at that level that counts right yeah and also I mean, it's more a feeling thing as well like you feel a lot faster like i don't necessarily i don't think you necessarily would go faster with less hair or no hair but you just feel Feel lighter in the water, and yep. so in yeah, so you go a bit faster, I guess, because you feel faster, you go faster. Okay, fantastic. All right, final question, Matt. Yeah, it's just my little dinner party question. Now you've got five invites to a dinner party. Now only rules, Matt. No family or friends, uh. but you can invite anyone that you want that's dead or alive. Okay. Famous. Anyone that you want, mate. It doesn't uh. have to be famous. Just someone that you don't know. So dead or alive. No family or friends. Okay. Um, Hawking, Einstein, Newton. Um, but you'd have to go because you have to be interviewing them. <laughs> That's four. Thanks, buddy. Um, um, I'll leave one spot open for the guests of their choosing. There you go. Some great, some great guests there. Are you, in, are you into their work? Is that um, people that you admire? Like no, I, yeah, like, like obviously, they're pretty, pretty big at what they do. Um, yeah, I just remember those three because I think they buried Hawking 
where Einstein was, and also they buried him in the same cemetery as Newton, I think, when um when he passed away a couple of couple of months ago. So I think that's pretty cool. I think he um he died on like the thirteenth, well, on Newton's birthday or something, and um, the anniversary of Edison's death or something like oh, that. Wow. something weird. Some crazy sort yeah, of some crazy weird connection. That yeah, weird got connection. There. Yeah. <laughs> That's an interesting story. Yeah. Well, Matt, before I let you go, I want everyone following Matt. You can check him out online, www.mattlevyoam.com.au. You also find him on his Twitter. He's Matt underscore Levy87. Anything else that we've got coming up that you might want to share, Matt? Oh, all good. All good? Yeah. So just, uh, is there any way for people to watch the Nationals? Is there a stream online or anything um, like that? Or? Yeah, there's, um, if you go to www.swimming.org.au, um, there should be a live Live, uh, live stream and then um, live results I think on their website as well Awesome Matt well we look forward to seeing you succeed at the Nationals and hopefully the meet after that you just keep killing it mate because you're doing some great jobs oh. so congratulations Thank you awesome. Thanks for your time Thanks guys for listening to my interview with Matthew Levy if you enjoyed the episode please share it with your family and friends tag me on any posts on Twitter I'm at Talking with TK same handle on Facebook or you'll find me on Instagram at Tristan Nell. Please get in touch. You can send me an email, Tristan at talkingwithtk.com. Love to hear any guest requests or suggestions for the show, or just if you want to have a yarn in general. Like I said, please share it with your family and friends. And if you haven't yet, please, if you can, review us on all your different podcast apps, particularly on the iTunes slash Apple podcast really helps me grow in the rankings and reach more people. So I'll be very appreciative. If you haven't yet, please rate the show. All right, guys, next week on the show, champion coach Rick Charlesworth. So be on the lookout for that one next Monday. We're slowly coming up to the 100th episode. So be on the lookout for the finish of season one over the next month or so. And then we'll be back for season two bigger, better, and stronger. So, guys, appreciate you tuning in. I'm Tristan Cannell, and this was Talking with TK. Talking with TK.